Good morning, Grace. Ah, uh, that's very weak. Good morning, Grace. Ah, uh, that's that's how that is better. Uh, at least now I know some of you are awake, and if you are not awake, there is coffee down there. You can go back to the foyer, get some of them, some some dose to make you be alive. Uh, before I go on, we're gonna pray, and then we can dive to our message today. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy, we thank you for dying on, for us on the cross, not only dying for us, but also resurrecting and winning us to your kingdom. Father, this morning as we come to you, we ask that you give me wisdom and a clarity of thought as I speak, that you speak through me so I can communicate the word that you need these, all of us to hear, not only here, but also uh, receive it and apply it to our lives so that we can be better women and men for the kingdom of God, and go on to do what you want us to do. I pray that you open the hearts of the people today, that they may listen to hear what you have to say for each and every one individually, because you have called us to spread the word to those who don't know you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last few weeks, we have been going through messages. The first message was the divinity of Christ, who Christ is as God, uh, but... The next message was the unity of believers in Christ, how we interact with each other in the body of Christ, and how we are connected because of his death, and us accepting him as Lord and Savior of our lives. The next message I preached was uh, the purity in the body of Christ, how we are purified positionally, and how we have to work our salvation based on our sanctification that is ongoing work of Christ in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word. Uh, last week, our elder Kevin preached the word, the passion to serve. Because of all the above, we are now commissioned to serve the God who we called us into his kingdom. And we have to have passion to do that. Today, we're going to talk about how we go about serving God based on all the above. And therefore, the topic for today had to do with what we call apologetics. Now, that's a big word for us. But for some of you who have a benefit of being in uh, one of the teachers, Darren, in here S Wing, S4, uh, you have been going through apologetics and how it, that word is used in our current issues that are going on. Uh, the word apologet has to do with the defense of the Christian faith. Uh, and when you have defense, you're going to have to have an offense. That means they're going to have two teams. Now... In case you didn't know this, rude awakening, the moment you say Jesus acknowledged you as Lord and Savior, you entered into an arena of the battle and you entered to a team that you had to fight for. And if there is a team to fight for, there is a team to fight against. So there are two kingdoms for those who need to understand clearly. There is kingdom of darkness led by the prince of power of darkness, Satan. We can call him devil, the deceiver, whatever you want to call him. He has his team. He has his demons. And we have God and the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we, they have, we in that kingdom, we believers. Now, if you're not a believer here, I, I made this message for you too, because you can join the team. 
Yeah. This team is wide open. There is no, uh, the only qualification is that you acknowledge you cannot save yourself and you want to join the team and you'll be welcome by acknowledging Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. So, the only difference between these two teams, our team know the outcome. I'm going to repeat that in case you didn't hear. When you guys, Americans guys here, Dennis and other people, they are fussing about their uh, New, York, New York giant or whatever it is, uh, and commanders and uh, whatever, the jets or whatever you name you call. See, I've been here for 30 some years, 35 and above, but I cannot get the, the game of football. <laughs> My kids try to explain to me, I say, son, all I see is a guy hitting another guy because they got this looking thingy. And to take it down there. So that, that's, that's why I know. So I, my examples are going to come from my philosophy of what I know. We call it soccer game. <laughs> now, so, and I was good at prayer it. And I coached here for several years. So, so I know that game and I prayed in school and what have you. But before we get there, we need to read the word of God, what it tells us about that word. That word is found in the Bible, by the way. For those who don't know, this is in your scripture. So let's see what it says here. Say, to prepare to give an answer. Yep, no, that's what it is. Now, some of us think apologetics means, oh, I am sorry, I offended you. That's not what it's talking about. <laughs> now, I have a privilege of teaching students every year, 10th and 11th grade. 10th grade, I teach Christian history from the book of Acts all the way to today, if I can get there. Now, then 11th grade, I teach apologetics called the defense of the scripture. Why I believe what I believe, why I believe it, why, what other world religions are there, what they believe and why they believe it, and how to counteract that. And convince them by persuading them that my way of Christ is better than theirs. That's what apologetic is. In essence, apologetics is the defense of the Christian faith. Coming from 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. Not only that this verse tells us what we ought to do, it also tells us how to do it. It's in your Bible, it's there. We're going to see it within a minute. Let's see what it says. Follow with me, please. Now, who is there to hurt you if you become enthusiastic of what is good? Rhetorical question. Paul is talking to his fellow Jewish people and also to us Gentiles. But if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, though it is not certain that you, you will, you are blessed, you are still blessed, happy to be admired and favored by God. Do not be afraid of their intimidating threats, not be troubled or disturbed by their opposition. There, tells you. They're going to be opposition, but be calm. But, now it tells you why you need to do this. But, in your hearts, set Christ apart as wholly acknowledging him and giving him the first praise in your lives as Lord. Notice that word, Lord, means supreme. Remember I preached a message a long time ago about the equilibrium of Christ? You're acknowledging he is in charge. Now, if somebody is in charge, you just have to follow. How, 
how difficult can that be? Well, you know how difficult it is. Your kids don't always do what you tell them. Neither do you do whatever God tells you to do. That's called following, you know? Now, then he continues. This is where the word defense comes from, the apologetics. Always be ready to give a logic. Notice that word logic, common sense, something that's making sense. Defense, that word defense, that's what we get our word apologia. That's apologetics. That's what it means. Give a reason, logic, defense, to anyone. Notice anyone. That means the monks, the Muslim, the Hindus, the Catholics, the whole Nineyard, the whole global culture, anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confidence assurance elicited by your faith, by 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 faith that is within you. Yep, sorry. Um, That is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Notice, tell you how to do it. Gentleness and respect. That means humility, not consented, consented, being looking down on people. That should not happen. Then it says, and see to it that your conscience is entirely clean. Oh, clean. Wow, wow, wow. Clear. That means you. You don't have anything to hide, no skeleton in the closet. So that every time you are surrounded or falsely accused, those who attack and disparage your good behavior in Christ will be ashamed by their own words. They're just going to gossip. Not bad things. They may sugarcoat it whatever that may say, but they can't say anything wrong about you. Talking about attitude. So, having said that, apologia, apologia, the defense of Christian scripture, or Christian uh, faith. Notice I put a soccer game there. There's a half team, the other team. I'm just trying to show you things. Now, in order to have a team, you're going to have to have various positions. And those positions have certain scale set. If I'm a coach, I'm a, I put my player where they are best suited, based on their natural ability and their giftedness and their training. Now, there is a goalkeeper. He is the last defense of any team. If they pass him, they get scored against. And then there is two fullbacks at the back. That's the line of defense. Then there is three or halfbacks there. One is center forward, the most important player in the, that team. That center forward is a versatile player who is very talented, and he, has, he can see everything, the panoramic view of the field, and he goes back and forth. That position is very important because that person can defend and can score at the same time. They are lethal. And if you notice, if you play soccer game, they double team for that person because they know who he is and what he's going to do. You don't leave him alone. Now, we as believers, we're in a team. 
According to the book of Corinthians, the book of Romans, we have been endowed with the spiritual gifts and natural abilities according to the abilities that we have to do those things. And we have been given as a place where we can use that ability. That's why you use the body. A toe cannot tell the finger, I don't like you and I don't want you. The eye cannot tell the nose, you are not good enough. Because you can't smell if you, you don't have a nose. You can't walk if you don't have foot. So they go together in wisdom. In essence, these parts gel together. And they cooperate to do the same thing. To accomplish the same objective, although they are, dif- they are different roles and parts and abilities. So why am I saying this? Because we have this mentality as believers that only elders or pastors are supposed to be disseminating the gospel and doing apologetics. And we can just sit down and become spectators. No, there is nothing like in our team. If you want to be a spectator, you are not belonging to the kingdom of God. You have been given a, a responsibility and a position to play, and if you don't, the team suffers. I want you to get that if you don't get anything before you go home today. You have a responsibility, and you must, if you don't know that now, and I'm telling you, so go to your knees and ask God, which position do I pray? What is my giftedness? And we can help you as elders. We're going to give you a gift survey, and you can take spiritual gifts, and we can tell you this one you need to do. But you can't have an excuse. Oh, the reason I was doing this because I didn't know. Now you know. <laughs> Sorry. Bear up bad news. Now, the team activities... This team has other things in it. There is what we call God the Father. He is the owner of this team. We have Jesus Christ, who is the co-owner and the operating manager of it, because he died for that team. And again, I'm just putting it straight out so you can understand the picture and the words. And there is the Holy Spirit, who is the co-owner and also the trainer. Yeah, he walks in our light, pointing fingers, the problem we have, and the weakness of our, of our game so that we can perfect it. Yeah. And then we have the angels. They're the ball boys. <laughs> well, they're messengers, that's what the Bible says. They, get, they, they put us aside where, we need to, where we're getting bad and say, hey, remember you're supposed to be doing this. I was sent to tell you you need to do this, and this is the ball. <laughs> do with it what you're supposed to do. Then we are, we are the participants. You can accept, you're going to have to participate. Notice I didn't say anything about spectators. In the kingdom of God, ladies and gentlemen, we are called to do apologetics. There is no spectators. So, now, the word is the, is the field by which we play. The word of God is where our rules and regulations set. Got it? The word of God set the perimeter how the game is played. You can't go there making your own rules. You're going to be put a timeout and you're going to sit on the sideline and sit there until you can man up or woman up in the kingdom. That's how it works. Have you ever wondered why God is not using you? Because you're not following the guideline of the scripture. But I'm a child of God. Good, but you need to be obedient. You parents know better than me that if your kids are not obeying, you put them in timeout. Or take some their gadget. Today you have tablets and phone and whatever you and television. You can shut them out of that thing until they line up. 
God is what does to us too. So apologetics have to do, now we get our word apology, come from the Greek word meaning to make a defense. Christian apologetics then is a science of giving a defense of Christian faith. Many skeptics doubt the existence of God and the word and they believe in the Bible. It's our job to convince them otherwise. So, that's our job. Now, so from apologia to apologetics, the origin of the word. So, this word was used originally as a speech given on a defense. And when you have a defense, you have the plaintiff, the person accusing, and the person, the defender, the person defending. And also you're going to have the attorney that you hire and the prosecutor. Yep. Those are the teams that are supposed to be prayed here when you're doing this part of discovery and whatever you. So, in ancient Greek, or in Athens, they refer to the defense made in a courtroom as a part of normal judicial procedure or process after the accused and the defendants allowed to refute the charges against with a defense that we call apologia. In this case, it's you. When the people say, you Christian, do this and do that, you need to come up with apology, the defense, in a calm, gentle way. Not telling them how their religious belief is wrong. They already know that probably. You're not telling them something new. They know it doesn't work. That's why they are getting this and that one. It is our job to convince them about our faith and persuade them to see otherwise while at the same time or subtly destroying their faith or what they believe. That's what apologetics is all about. The word apo, the first part of that word seems to speak away. Now, let me give you the normal term of that word. When you stand, when a witness is put on a stand and they give the testimony, the defense is going to go to start destroying the person and the credibility of the other person. That's called to speak away. Perry Mason here, or Corombo, whatever, you know, those detectives, you have watched those movies. Now some of you young, you don't know what I'm talking about, so sorry. But that's what they're saying, to speak away of the accusation. The classic example of this is Socrates. Socrates was open-minded in the Athenian empire. He believed that there is more than what the Roman government and the Grecian were believing. Therefore, he said, there must be something different. And they accused me of, him of heresy. So he had to defend himself. And one of the persons who retold this story is one of his people called Plato. Those people who have done Greek and all, whatever you talking about this. This word is found 17 times in the Bible. Apologetics, in either a verb or noun, saying the same thing. In essence, you have to defend or vindicate the action of clearing one's blame or suspicion. For example, I intend to work to ensure my full vindication in each case, on every case. In Acts 26, 1 says, Paul is in, is in, in process to go to Rome. He had to got various changes, whatever he was called And now he is before King Agrippa. That's Acts chapter 26, verse 1 says, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched his hands and began to make his defense. It's there. That word is used again. 
And he went on to say things, and King Agrippa had to walk outside and say, he almost confused to be a Christian. He doesn't have any long against him. If he didn't ask to go to Caesar, I would have already set him free. Now, Paul had already said, I want to go to see Caesar to prove my case. So they couldn't release him. So they let him stay in jail until he went to Caesar. That's, it's like saying, I want my case to go to the Supreme Court. That's what he, Paul was saying. So... Another example is used referring to one speech made in a defense. For example, in one passage in the book of Luke, the book of Luke says that a Jew named Alexander tried to make a defense before an angry crowd in Ephesus that incited by idol makers whose business was threatened by Paul's preaching according to Acts 19.33. Paul went to this city where they had all these gods and there was this idol maker and he started talking to people, and the people got converted, and now there is nobody to buy idols. So they were mad. So he started saying, we need to kill them. So Alexander, being naive, he started standing there. They were going to stone him. So they had to snatch him, and they moved him out of the city. That's what word you say there. Now, in the pro- this process also, there is what we call refuting the false teaching. That means you're going to have to have a timeout. Why is the timeout important? When there is a timeout, is the coach saying, I want to recalibrate so we can have a different strategy or scheme in order to win this game because it's not going the way we want. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're talking to a non-believer and you see you got, get, get in this quagmire, you need to recalibrate and go different routes to present the message. Don't get into an argument. Because once you get to an argument, you lose your credibility. Because Satan is looking for an argument with you. Don't forget that. You need to be wiser than they are. And you should because you have the Holy Spirit. So, many critics attack inspiration and inerrancy of the word of God. These false teachers put false doctrines out there, and deny the key truth of Christian faith. It is our mission as Christians to destroy these things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God according to the book of Corinthians and bring them to subjection of the word of God by showing them why they are long, with calm and gentle manner, not casting them out and telling how long they are. They already know they don't need that. The next thing is fighting against unbeliefs. That's what we call offense. Now, if you see that picture there, see that guy, number 10, he has the ball. He's going to do everything to be able to get through that defense. That's your job and my job. After we have that, we have laid down systematically the logic argument about why Christian faith is better than theirs, and they can see that you have broken the wall of their defense, and you can score. That's the whole point for you American touchdown. I'm just saying. <laughs> For you baseball player, hit home run. <laughs> and for those who play hockey, put that part in the net. <laughs> That's what this is. Now, let me give you another word, word of advice. Our job is not to convert people. Amen. I want to say that again, in case you're not listening to me. See, we have that mentality that we're supposed to go there and convert people. No. We're supposed to make disciples. Notice the difference. God do the conversion, not you and me. We are farmers planting seeds. 
Whenever you witness to someone, you're giving them different opinion that they have of the scripture. You're planting the seed. And the word of God says this, my word will never come back to me void. That's God saying in his word, not you. It's this in the scripture. Therefore, don't God worry that they're going to cast you out. They're going to do it anyway because they're mad, because they know they're wrong, and they don't know anything to say, so they're going to be angry, so you can stop telling them the good thing. Because they're they embarrassed already, even if you're telling them nicely. Do you want to say that? So, the offensive team has a possession of the ball, and it's trying to score. In this case, the overarching purpose of apologetics is evangelism. I'm going to repeat that. The overarching purpose of apologetics is evangelism. That's why we do it. We break down the defense and their arguments, why they cannot be Christian, and this and that, and the excuse about how they were wrong in the church and whatever you, and every Christian is evil, and every Christian is hypocrites. Some of that, we are hypocrites sometimes. We know that. So, acknowledge, yes, we are hypocrites. We are not perfect. They will be surprised because they didn't expect that to you. Yeah, we are hypocrites. We know why hypocrites, because we are not perfect. We're not in heaven. We do mistakes. We own it. So you're going to hang on to that forever? Yeah. You know, unbelief is in the air, ladies and gentlemen. Our postmodern society today say non-belief, unbelief is hip. It's in. That's what it is. Now, long time ago, a man called by Friedrich, Friedrich, Nietzsche said, said this. This is what he said about Christianity. And I want to listen carefully to what he said. I call Christianity the one great curse, the one great innermost corruption, the one great instinct of revenge for which no means are poisonous, stealthy, and subterranean. Small enough, I call it the most immortal blemish of mankind. That's what he said, a philosopher, the German philosopher. That's how they see us. It's our job to leave them the maze by presenting logical, clear-cut argument of why our beliefs are better than theirs. How shall we respond to unbelief? That's the question. How shall we have the heart of the lost people answer when they malign Christian faith and mock our very foundation of our historic Christianity. Paul tells us what we ought to do with regard to that. What does he say? Now, you see that thing there? This is sometimes how we do it, uh, do it as Christians. We go there becoming nasty and sluggish you know, to these people. We become cobantant and we forget that we are there to win them. Some Christians uh, do that. They well meaning Christians. Is that you and me? But notice what Peter said. But in your heart honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for your for the hope that is in you. Yet do it in gentleness and respect, not that. You are not holier thou than they are, but by the grace of God. Got it? That's what he say. Now, I'm going to give you eight ways to do this. Eight principles that you need to take. Because I just want to give you theory and lecture. I'm going to tell you how to do it. And it's a work. I have been working for quite a while, for those who don't know. Number one, 
Apologetics involves verbal proclamation, meaning you're going to have to speak it out. It's good to walk the walk. But as St. Francis Assisi said, the gospel, he said this, preach the gospel if necessary, use, use words. The point is, make sure your life matches the gospel. However, the action cannot convert alone. Therefore, the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How are they going to hear you're not going to speak? That's what gave you the tongue, give you the brain. Yeah, so you can speak. The gospel must be proclaimed by speaking the word. Paul is saying this. We have to do what we call kerygma or keruso, meaning to speak, to proclaim, to herod, to go out there and give them the word. See, sometimes we think giving the word is that you have to be wear a suit and tie like Jehovah's Witness and all that good. But that's not it. You can give gospel anytime, wherever you are, as you walk with somebody in a restaurant, in a line where you're waiting something, uh, when you're, that cashier is doing your, ringing your stuff and talking about Jesus. Yeah. Gospel is a conversation, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I say you have to be ready every time. Too often, individuals believe we pay the pastor to proclaim the gospel, and we sit down and hold our hands, and they're doing it. We give them a tithe. That's a job. No. You'll be reaching heaven, and God will ask you, how many people have you brought to the kingdom? And they say, um, I didn't know how to do it. No, you need it. the Bible tells you, unfortunately. Now, not only that, you have to be bold. Now, when, G, when God called Joshua, he told him several times that they had to be what? Courageous and bold, and I will be with you wherever you go. In the book of Matthew says, and I will be with you until the, age of, the end of the age. So you're not alone. You may think you're alone, you may feel like you're alone, but Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit is there. The question is, are you prepared to be able to let the Holy Spirit speak through you? That's the whole point there is, gentlemen. So you have to be bold to present the gospel. Boldness means brave. You must, you must be brave to present, to speak up. Some of us are brave to, whenever you see somebody doing an unfair thing to somebody, speak it out because you're brave. You don't just go the other way. You see somebody attack somebody, you go defend. It's the same thing here. Now, some of us are embarrassed that people are going to embarrass us. So what? They're not going to kill you. No, Jesus was embarrassed by the people, but he didn't let it bother him. Embarrassment is the way Satan uses a weapon against you to put you where you should be, where I believe you should be, so he can keep you captive and not do the work of God. And we need to understand that. So, the next is apologetic must involve logic, and this is very important proclamation. This is where Romans Road is, is important. Every year, the first week in my classroom, Every class must understand what Romans law is. This is a scripture that are in the book of Romans, systematically showing step by step how to become a believer. So they will never leave that classroom without knowing that they know who Jesus is. They may acknowledge Jesus, they may not. And I repeat this the second semester too. Yeah, in case they came some new student. So they will never leave that classroom because my mandate is this. I am in a harvest field. 
and my students is my field. And I had to communicate the gospel. Those students who went through my classroom, I always told them straight away, there is lake of fire and there is paradise. Which one do you want? <laughs> I, I didn't sugarcoat it. Because we are talking about changing people for eternity. Remember that. So it had to be logic, meaning let them make sense so they can. Did you know the gospel is very basic? You don't have a PhD. You don't have to go to MIT or Stanford or Harvard to, to, to become a witness. No, you don't. Simple. So, ladies and gentlemen, we must communicate the message clearly so people can understand what we are talking about. The next part is our apologetics involve hopeful proclamation. People today, they are committing, did you know a lot of people are committing suicide in our generation than before? Because they, whenever somebody commits suicide, it's because they came to an end of themselves or what they know. We are the rescuers. And we need to be prepared with our, how to do resuscitation. Yeah. For those who lost the hope, show them that our gospel, there is a kingdom that they can be to, and God is going to help them, and we can help them walk through that. They want people to come alongside them to help them to understand what it is they are hoping for. The next thing is, is talking about apologetics involved to be faithful proclamation. This is not haphazardry. It's day in, day out, ladies and gentlemen. So proclaiming the word, we must go According to the book of Matthew, uh, Mark, the book of Mark 16, 15 says, And he said to them, Go to all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Creation referring to human beings. So the Great Commission involved faithful proclamation for all people. So we need to understand it's imperative to do that. Six, a project is Christocentric. This is not your message. This is the message of Christ. You don't make up as you go. It's Genesis through Revelation, gentlemen and ladies. So you can avoid hell, you see. To honor Christ in our hearts and make a defense with respect, where we get our word phobia, meaning leverage. For those who don't believe, the next one is this is where you come in mostly. Personal testimony is the, is the most potent weapon that you have because you're telling them, I used to be this, and because of Jesus, I'm this. They are seeing what God can do with a human being. Give their testimony. It may not be shattering, but you never know who you're talking to. They may have gone through what you went through, and they can see now the difference. Yeah. Witnessing clearly explain the gospel message to the lost. Give them opportunity to accept God's offer of salvation through repentance with faith in Jesus Christ. You are witnessing of what you have personally found to be true. You are living it. That's what we are talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. So, notice this scripture here. So we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was making his appeal through us, 
We as Christ's representative plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He has made Christ to, who knew no sin to judicially be, be sin on our behalf so that in him we, become, we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we will be made acceptable to him and praised in the right relationship with him by his gracious love, loving kindness. What does that mean? An ambassador. Every new administration that comes to the White House, they have to appoint member of the diplomatic corps across the world. All embassies or consulates across the world, they have to have an ambassador. Ambassador doesn't have a message. I want you to hear that. The only message they have is the person who sent them. That's the message they have to present. They can't go there and present their own idea. They have to present the message of the person who sent them. In that sense, they are vehicle to to communicate the truth of the country that sent them, the agenda, the ideology, the philosophy. That's what we are called to be as ambassador of Christ, to communicate the whole gospel of Christ to those who are perishing and dying so they can know who God is, not our opinion. So we need to understand that. And this is where it becomes difficult. Cultural. We must do cultural apologetics. What is that? What does that mean? Look at those people. Different demographics, different countries. America is like that today. The world has come to us. We have to reach to them. Don't just say, oh, they're Hindus, so I don't know what to talk about. Yeah, they're human beings. <laughs> Hindu is just their practice of religion. They're just human as you. Sometimes we identify people by their religious belief and their ethnicity. We forget they're human beings. That's a problem. So, we must do what we call cultural apologetics. What is that? It's a systematic effort to advance the feasibility of Christian uh, claim, considering the message communicated through dominant cultural institutions, including film or movies, popular music, literature, art, mass media, across the globe. Today, we are in technology age. We use the tools available to communicate the gospel. And when we are doing that, we have to be what? Gentle and respectful. Consider others as yourself. Do unto them as you like to be done to you. That's what he's talking about. Now, then we have to do it having a clear conscience. You don't have skeleton in the closet. You're telling the truth. You know? It didn't say you're perfect. But you communicate with genuine concern to them who Christ is. And then you have to raise above evil. They ain't going to mistreat you, ladies and gentlemen. They're going to call you names. They call Jesus' name. And Jesus told his disciples, ladies and gentlemen, if they can do this to me, they're going to do worse to you. No servant is greater than his master. Sometimes we forget that part of it. As Christ it happened to him, what's going to happen to us? If you have led the history of the 12 disciples, with the exception of one of them, all of them were killed. Some of them were skinned alive. Some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were cut with a saw, alive. They put John in a big drum. John, the, John who didn't die, beloved. They put him in a big container, they put oil in there, and they covered it, and they boiled him for a while. Then they say, oh, he must be dead now. They went, open it. John just walked out, and they said, they were so petrified because, they, how can he be? So they put him in, in the middle of the ocean. 
Islas of Patimas, where God came and revealed himself and gave me the book of Revelation. John died when he was about 96 years of age, the only disciple who died for natural causes. All others were murdered. That's the history of disciples. So are you willing to put your life online like Jesus did for you? That's the whole point of apologetics, by the way. They're going to be evil. So, now finally, be informed. Remember and challenge. Remember I say the team, the team know what to do. Now, if you look at the game of soccer, they play in a triangles. Three by three, they move in triangle. And he hit the ball, go there, then he goes right there. And you know they don't look because they expect the other guy to be there. Be informed about the culture that you're dealing with and the people you're dealing with. Go there knowing what it is. If it's an intellectual from Harvard, be intellectual. If a person who doesn't have intellect, be like that. I became all people to all people so I can win them, Paul said. I don't want you to be a Christian who is sounding dumb when you're talking to a Harvard guy. Talk the language they got. Talk to their level. That means you have to Step up your game and step down your game and in between your game, whatever that is. <laughs> are you getting this? Amen. Because sometimes they think we are dumb because we are Christian. Oh, you guys don't know this, but I, I do Uber. Yeah, I drive Uber. And I talk to a lot of people. The other day I talked with a congressman from Texas. I gave me hard time, by the way. I said, hey, guys. His name was a brother or something. I said, you guys are just speaking in the, down in the center. Why don't you start, do something? He said, oh, no, you know you have to do something. We, we have to governize this. We have to do it. But have you done that? No. So I said, how about this? How about we pay you in commission? <laughs> he looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, we say, if you pass these type of laws, and we like them, we can pay you. If we don't like them, we don't pay you. <laughs> he said, no, that's not going to work. I said, well, you are not doing anything. You're just talking, and we are paying you thousands of dollars. <laughs> that was, uh, he, he was squirming there, those 20 minutes to drop him near the White House. <laughs> but the, point, the bottom line is, guys, I communicate with the pastor. The other day I talked with two young ladies. I said, why are you not wearing your thing from Middle East? They said, oh, we are, we are liberated. That's what they said. So one of them said, oh, I, I don't even have a religion. I practice when my parents are there. I never know that they don't. <laughs> Those are young ladies. So I said, do you know about Jesus? Yeah, we hear about him. And I, I said 30 minutes, so I had to communicate the message of the gospel from, from all the way from Fairfax to, to D.C. So I... Talk about the gospel and they say, oh, well, we heard about that and all that. But they say that Jesus was just a good God prophet. No, that's, that's not true. And I just give them some track and that's communicating gospel, whatever people are. So, ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line is this the primary task of apologetics is persuasion, which is the overarching aim. Thus, evangelism is the mechanism or the vehicle by which we must reach out to our communities. We are ambassadors of Christ, persuading others to embrace the message of the gospel and the kingdom agenda. That's what we are supposed to do, ladies and gentlemen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because you have given us a mandate to go out and make disciples, to go out to plant the seed and let you do the work in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be challenged today, to be a church that loves the community and go out wherever we are and disseminate the word 
with boldness, without fear, because you are with us. We commit this day to you and the rest of the week in Jesus' name. Amen.